We're in a series in Ecclesiastes, and I want to invite you to join me for just a word of prayer as we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to look into your word together with your flock. And we ask that you would preach, you would speak, you would, you would address our heart as your sons and daughters. Father, we would grow in wisdom. Father, I am not wise. I am not the wisdom. I do not have words of wisdom. Jesus Christ, you are wisdom in the flesh and the spirit. We would see you. We would receive you. Our lives would come under your lordship. So speak as your servants are listening. In Christ's name, amen. This morning, I want to begin in an unusual way by reading you a bedtime story. Now, don't go to sleep. Maybe that's a reason we've got the hard cheers in the front. Uh, but it's a, it's a book that's been in my family for quite some time. And there's an interesting phenomenon that as my granddaughter, seven-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, knows this by heart, and we read it... Uh, it's in that stack of books whenever she sleeps over for bedtime reading. She has a different emphasis, a different take on this book than our firstborn son years and years ago. She has a cultural perspective that is different. And I'll show you what I mean. This is I Am a Puppy by Ole Rensom. I am a puppy. My name is Bruno. I am a beagle. I like to play with my friends. Sometimes we run across the fields. Sometimes we wrestle and roll around. Whenever I find something nice, I bring it home. In the summer, I swim in the creek. In the winter, I play in the snow. But best of all, I like to explore. I creep through bushes. I crawl behind rocks. Once I met a skunk. Luckily, he was friendly. Once I met some Big dogs, they turned out to be friendly too. Every time I get myself dirty, I have to take a bath. And at that moment, my granddaughter will pause. And she will say, I can't read that. I can't say that. Every time I get myself dirty, I have to take a bath. I, capital letters, hate baths. And every night I curl up in my bed and I go to sleep. It's not because she is under the influence simply of the politically correct. But she's been taught that you're not to hate anything. That if you hate, that it's always selfish. It is always something that is wrong and as a Christian, you can't hate. It's a sin to hate. We're going to look this morning in this text, and the focus verse is verse 17, where the preacher, the teacher, this one who is saying, I am looking at the world 
I am looking at all things with the wisdom that God has given me. And my emotion is I hated life. After looking at everything, so I hated life. And furthermore, everything that is done under the sun was grievous to me. Grievous. Think about a person in grief or someone who's grieving over a loss or a a death. Mournful. Jesus Christ, in John 11.33, we read these words. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The Greek word there, and it is a word that we use a lot of English, deeply moved, greatly troubled. But it's one word in the Greek. And it means that there's a, a movement inside. Inside the heart, a storm has just been created. Inside of Christ's heart, an emotion is erupting when he stands there at the grave or the tomb of his friend. He is there with loved ones who are mourning and grieving the separation that has taken place in the family. The family is breaking apart, and it's because of death. Jesus was not simply morally indignant. He hated. He hated that. He hated the scene of death and the separation of his friendship. This week, I don't know where you were when you first heard the news, but I strongly suspect, as a Christian, when you heard the news of the the shooting at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, 58 Deaths, making it the largest mass murder in the history of our country. I strongly suspect, though I do not know where you were when you heard the news, how you received it. Shock, anger. A sense in you of great trouble was birthed at that moment. You hated. You hated evil. You hated death. You hated the the signs of the, the wounded and the tears and the mourning and loved ones looking through the crowd or through the hospitals only to discover that they were either wounded or they were dead. These are strangers to us, but looking at their grief and their loss inside, we said, this is evil. And I hate this. Am I wrong? Am I wrong to hate this? Distressing emotions that arouse anger or hatred do not automatically signal 
a small faith. In fact, they very often demonstrate real convictions and faith in things that we love. If you want to know me, the real me, and I want to know you, you can begin to observe and listen to find out the things that I hate. For they will conversely reflect what I love. I love my family. I hate all enemies of my family. I love my church and my flock. I pray that I will hate the wolf or the ravager of the flock so much that I would seek to protect at the laying down of my own life or a fight against that enemy. Solomon, given the gift of wisdom by God, is not saying as he looks, he's been looking at all of these things. He's looking now again as he says in verse 12, I turn to consider. That means I turned, I'm facing it. I'm looking at my intellect and my wisdom as well as if he were standing on a front porch looking at all the the toys and the debris in the yard after a storm. He looks out over all of that yard sale in the front yard and he says, I hate this. It, I, I worked so hard. I accomplished so much. But just like a fool, when I die, it's all going to rust. Or it's going to be misused. Or it's going to be used for injustice. It's as if a, a fine craftsman of the original Winchester rifle could say, this will be a great thing to protect families from the enemy or to, to provide provision and food for them. And then, over a period of time, he sees it used for murder, for killing, for injustice. I hate it. How It, it was meant for good, but then, in the end, Injustice and evil. He says, I hate that about life. He says, I look under this sun and I look under the sun and there are things that grieve my heart. They make me mournful. Now, you may say he's rather depressive, and he is. But he's not saying this out of depression. You may say, well, he's got a small faith in God such that he just doesn't take joy in the Lord. He's not saying he hates the Lord at all. He's saying this life, this life, particularly this life under the sun without living in the sun is no fun. This life in itself is a far fallen cry from Eden. We're in the in-between. The, 
the, the, the way into Eden is barred. We're now in a fallen world. But the promise of a new heaven and new earth is ours. That's above the sun. But under the sun, he's saying, it's mournful. I see things in this life that out of my wisdom, out of my wisdom, make me just hate life. He has sorrow. If you look in uh, Psalm 13, we read in Psalm 13, another wise man, there's five books of wisdom. The Psalms are considered a book of wisdom. And the psalmist, David, in Psalm 13 He cries out in verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And then he begins to mourn that separation that he's experiencing from his Lord. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Commentators say about this verse, it's as if David is contemplating suicide. In other words, life without a sense of the Lord's nearness. Life, looking at life as if the Lord has forgotten me or forgotten the world and the life I'm experiencing, it creates this sorrow, this mourning in my heart. We are the questions. Where was God at Mandalay Bay? Was God not in charge? Could God not have stopped that? The Westminster Confession of Faith, it's the larger catechism, not the shorter. Question 28 says, this is, what, this is what the world experiences now because of sin in a fallen world. The punishments of sin in this world are either inward, such as the blindness of mind, a reprobate sense, strong delusions, hardness of heart, horror of conscience, vile affections, and are outward as the curse upon, of God upon the creatures for our sakes, and all evils that befall us. It was not God It was evil, evil that is in our world because it's fallen in its sinful state. And Solomon invites us to wisely hate. We are not to hate as the fool. There is an appropriate hate that we as Christians not only can but should employ a true relationship with God sometimes requires that language in our prayer the pain the frustration anger hate inside us those are very honest reactions so don't fake it okay now somebody's gonna somebody's gonna confront me at the end of the service but I got to say this there are times that you're going to ask me how I'm doing. And I tend to wear my feelings many times on my sleeve. I'll tell you how I'm doing. I'll tell you if life sucks right now. 
But I am not going to say better than I deserve. I am not going to say if it's plastic and fake, I am so blessed. Because I don't always feel that. It's an honest emotion. And don't fake it trying to make it happen. Follow it. Follow it. Follow the, the anger. Follow the, the, those hateful feelings that are rising. Follow that. What is it that you hate? Like Bruno, do you hate Bess? Like Jesus right now, are you hating death that separates us from loved ones? I hate death. Every time I stand at a graveside, I say, this was not supposed to happen, but it does, and it will happen. Every baby that is born, they, you, you can go ahead and save the price of printing and print up a birth certificate and a death certificate. They will die, and I hate it. Under this sun, as Solomon says, we're going to build great things, but I'm going to leave them to a fool. I'm going to have my wisdom and I'm going to apply it in all things. But like the fool, I'm still going to die. Solomon tells a story. This is later in chapter 9. He says in verse 13, I've seen this example of wisdom under the sun and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great sage works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Solomon is asking the question, and he said, you know, why, in verse 15, since my wisdom, as much as I apply it, and as much as I learn things, it doesn't change things. The smartest, all the wisdom of our current world didn't change things in the past week. And he's like, why seek wisdom? Why, why be so wise? Why apply wisdom if I'm not immune to circumstances in life? Let me make it personal for you if you're a son and daughter. Do you, are you growing in wisdom? This book is wisdom. Are you growing in wisdom? Do you apply wisdom? Do you search for wisdom? Do you read? Do you, you pray for understanding by the Holy Spirit? Do you meditate on it? Chew on it? Ruminate on it? Do you walk in its light? And then, after all that, people die. Injustices are committed. Evil comes into your home or workplace or relationships. So why be wise? It doesn't change circumstances, but it does change us. It does have an impact. And we are to wisely, wisely, with wisdom, wisely employ hate, 
our distress against evil. That means that Jesus himself, the incarnation of wisdom, he needs to give us wisdom as to how to wisely hate, how to wisely hate evil in the world. Now Solomon doesn't do all that. Solomon is really restricting his look to things under the sun. Not in the heavenlies, not above the sun. But he has a lot of direction to offer us as far as understanding and knowing that wisdom itself will not immune us. But he says in verse 13, I still understand there's more gain in wisdom than in folly. There's more gain in light than in darkness. And we know that to be true. We know that there's more gain than not by reading and meditating and growing in wisdom. By walking with the Lord, there is more walking with Him who is wisdom and Him directing our path. There's more gain in that than in folly. Though the circumstances, the rain will fall on the just and the unjust. There were Christians and there were non-Christians that were killed in that slaughter this past week. It's called the paradox, paradoxal commandments. And I'm not going to read them all. Uh, Mother Teresa made them famous. Though we don't believe that she, they were original with her. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. And that's what, that's what a, 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 the preacher is struggling with. He's saying that the projects and, and the buildings and, and the wisdom and, and the good that I've done is only going to be forgotten or misused when I'm gone. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Almost all the Christian life is lived in that, that location of anyway. That one wise man, that poor wise man in Ecclesiastes 9 that lived in a city that's under siege from a foreign king. They are going to be taken as slaves. Their possessions are going to be forfeit. They are going to be removed from their homes, refugees in the land. But one poor wise man with his wisdom applied, rescued them. And in being rescued, the people saved, They forgot the wise man. His name is not even given. He is long forgotten. Be wise anyway. And I think that's the message that I really want to impact or impress upon two rivers. Imagine imagine you're a soccer coach. And it's a little league soccer. And you, ha- you 
have a game the next day and they've, they've announced that you're going to play the dirtiest, most physically abusive team that cheats in order to win. And they are victorious. They've won every game. Your kids are a little bit frightened of them because they're so brutal in the soccer match. Kicking shins, looking for every opportunity to, to, to physically abuse and cheat. And the referees seem to not see it or not care. And you think, well, I've got three choices. I can just say, forget it. We are not playing them. We are not going to take the field with cheaters. We're just not going to do it. We're just not going to take the field. Or we can say, all right, guys, listen, fight fire with fire. I mean, let's, let's just throw it back at them. Listen, if they kick your shin, you kick their shin. You know, if they, if they um, elbow you when the referee's not looking, you elbow them and cheat every opportunity that you have. Be just like them when you take the field. Or, you got one more choice. And that is that you will go out there and we'll play honestly, we will pray in a way that will honor our God. We will pray in a way that we'll, we'll probably lose. But that day, everybody who is watching will be able to observe that we're doing it the right way because of who we are. In other words, we're probably going to, to lose but we're going to do the right thing anyway in the face of that injustice and evil. That is wisely hating someone that is a threat or an enemy or an opposition. It's not just quitting and just throwing up our hands and just saying, they win. And it's not saying, well, we're going to become like the fool and we're going to become like them. It's actually being quite militant. It's actually saying, we're going to apply wisdom anyway. We're going to walk with the Lord anyway in the face of that. What does that look like, practically speaking? Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 43 and 45, you see, a greater preacher than Solomon came in Jesus. He is, we can pray to have the gift of wisdom that Solomon had. God has given us wisdom in the person of Jesus that is far greater than that. And he said, this wise preacher tells us what to do and how to direct hate. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was, that was the truth of Israel. Hate the enemies of God. Hate the doers of evil. Hate them. Hate the idolaters. Hate the enemies of Israel. But I say to you, love your enemies 
and pray for those who persecute you. That's how to wisely hate. I don't, I'm not giving in to evil when I love my enemies. I'm not agreeing with them. I still hate evil. But my manner of hating is applying wisdom, love. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. The world is watching. The world is watching. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good, and He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And we know that the Lord, He hates evil. What does the Lord do when He encounters evil men and women. They just burn them up and squash them. Well, we know what Jesus Christ did when He encountered sinners. He offered them His very life that they might come to know His death on their behalf, not their death. That they might come to know the forgiveness of their sins and not the consequences of their sins. And now, we can say, there are things in this life that I hate. There are things in this life that I mourn and they're grievous to me. But I am learning from God's ways. I am learning wisdom. And I am walking with Him to learn how to wisely hate the things that He hates. How to be able to keep on anyway loving, praying, serving all the while with a mourning heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look at circumstances in our nation, but we have circumstances that are much closer to home. That we dislike enough to hate. There are circumstances or events or even individuals in our life that are grievous to us. But from Your Word and through the person of Jesus Christ, teach us. Teach us how to wisely hate. How to take those feelings and those emotions and to pray for those that persecute us, to love our enemies, to live, to live before you and walk in wisdom anyway. Lord, may we at Two Rivers be those people, those people who hate evil, but we love what is good. And we would follow You as You, Father, would use us in this land. So, Father, strengthen us from this table. We need Jesus to do this. We don't have the energy, even the inclination alone to do this. But give us more of Jesus. Remind us of how we were the enemy that He loved. 
We were his persecutors that he prayed for even on the cross for our forgiveness. And now, Father, as your sons and your daughters, may we bear your image and a likeness to Jesus as we grow in that through the power of your Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.